All right, Tainas Pergdalad Mishnaches four eight, and the last of the Masechta. We've come now to an end here, and the Mishnah wants to end on a much more positive note. Um, the sort of broad brushstrokes, the theme of the whole Masechta has been how to respond to calamity and impending calamity and famines and droughts and the destruction of the temple and so on. Um, so now we're going to um, transition to this to the big, the basic point that um, while bad things certainly do happen, um, there's plenty of reason to be optimistic and hopeful. Um, there's certainly plenty of opportunity um, to reconcile with Hashem, and um, although there are certain times when things look bleak, but those things do resolve themselves as well over time, and um, we do have some reconciliation with Hashem and, and good times and uh, positive things to look forward to. So that's that's the theme of the Mishnah in the biggest picture. The Mishnah says, Am Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, Lo hayu yamim tovum li Yisrael, there were no days which were as good for the Jewish people on the calendar, like the days of the 15th of Av, Tuba'av, and Yom Kippur. On those days, um, very special things happened, and the Mishnah will discuss how they sort of commemorated and celebrated the good things that happened. Um, but before we see what they did, let's just talk about what happened in the past. So, of course, Yom Kippur is familiar to us. Yom Kippur... In uh, in history, starts out with when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Harsina for the third time. He brought the Luchoshniel, second set of tablets, symbolizing the reconciliation between Hashem and the Jewish people. Um, and they went on from there, in the wake of you know recovering to a great degree from the the travesty of the Cheta Egel, the Golden Calf episode. So um, that becomes symbolic of Hashem forgiving us and reconciling with us. And certainly every year subsequent to that on. Yom Kippur, we have the opportunity to cleanse ourselves, reconnect to Hashem. Ashrechem Yisrael, we're very fortunate because we can be matar ourselves before Hashem and Hashem is matar us. So these are this is a great opportunity of a day and a very special day and we'll see because of that what went, what happened. Um, as far as Tuba Av, the 15th day of the month of Av, so the Gemara says that a number of things happen historically of tradition um, and you'll see these things all have common themes about reconciliation, um, marriage, living on, making families, um, and things that really went bad, as we sort of have talked about throughout the Masechta, um, ended up being resolved, and we reconciled with Hashem, and things got good again. So here they are. Um, first of all, the, the um, when the Jews came into Eretz Israel originally, and meaning like from Egypt, that generation, so they were um, not allowed to marry into other Shavatim, different tribes. Every tribe, like if there was a girl from Reuven, she couldn't marry a boy from the tribe of Shimon. And the reason why was because as they were doing the Chalukas arts, dividing up the land, we were concerned that this girl from Reuven might have no brothers. She married this fellow from the tribe of Shimon. When she dies, this guy from Shimon would inherit her ancestral plot and that would sort of mess up the the territories of um, of of, uh, of the dividing up of Israel. And therefore, in that first generation, that was disallowed. But the tradition is that subsequent to that, the rabbis made a drasha that it was just limited to the first generation, and the rabbis made that drush and publicized that now the the tribes could marry one to the other. Um, that happened on Tuba'av. So that's the first thing you see. Things that started out bad, reconciliation, happy ever after, marriage, children, etc. Second of all, on the 15th of Av, um, the tribe of Binyamin was once again allowed to marry into the Jewish people. Um, this really is a reference to something that happened, a really terrible episode, uh, which is told in the like a prakim nineteen twenty twenty one of of uh, of the shoftim, it's the episode known as the pilegish begiva, 
a terrible story. I'll, I'll tell it just super, super briefly, but there's a lot to be said there. Um, a certain man, he actually was from Shevet Levi, had a concubine, that's a Pilegesh, and um, while he was traveling home, cutting a long story short, yeah, he stayed overnight in a place called Giva, which is in the tribe of Binyamin, and and um, kind of very similar to the story of, of um, Lot, who took in a guest in Stome, a fellow there actually from Harfraim took in this this man and his concubine, the Pilegesh, and then they basically the local Benjaminites demanded um, to send that man out to sort of essentially sodomize him, and uh, they sent out the Pilegesh instead. Long story short, and they the poor the poor woman um, was molested until she died, um, and uh, in response to that, this outraged Levi went back home. He he like cut up this Pilegesh into twelve parts and sent those parts around to, to you know to the to the different tribes, 12 tribes, to impress on them this outrageous event that happened, um, that this, you know, the Ben Yaman and, and uh, people of Giv were out of hand. And, again, cutting a long story short, the, the, they were called to task there in, in the Giva, but they, and told to hand over the perpetrators, they refused to do so, and therefore a war was waged by the rest of Klai Israel against Ben Yaman, um, which was a terrible, bloody civil war, ostensibly, Um the ultimate upshot of which was that, you know, Binyamin lost that war, lots of people died, and Binyamin was disallowed to marry into the rest of Klaishal. A terrible situation, the whole thing terrible from beginning to end. Um, but at some point in a subsequent generation, I'm not exactly sure when, um, it was decreed that the time has come to now let Binyamin marry back in again, and to sort of reconcile their differences and mend the rift. And that was decreed on Tubav, 15th of Av. So again, same, same theme that happened then. That's our tradition. Um, third of all, the people stopped dying in the in the desert. Uh, meaning, if you recall, we said a couple of Mishnahis ago, it was decreed that everyone from the generation who left Egypt would not enter Eretz Yisrael, they would die in the desert. So the dying all happened on the same day, on the day of, of Tisha B'Av. Um, and it happened um, every year. What they would do is all the people in the desert would dig a grave wherever they were. They would sleep that night in their graves. And in the morning, you know, Thousands of them wouldn't wake up. Thousands of them would die. And they'd be sleeping in their graves. They were lying in their graves. And they'd be buried right then and there. And the rest would get up. They would separate the living from the dead. And, and um, you know, until the next year. So that went on for 40 years. They were, like, you know, dying every Tishabov. Eventually, in the final year, they got into their graves. Tishabov morning, night came and went. And no one died. They thought there must have been a mistake. They did lay in the ground, in the graves the second day and the third day. By Tuba Av, the fifth day Av, they realized this decree is from heaven is finished. No one's dying anymore on, on, from the Av, and they celebrated. And again, you see, that's Tuba Av, reconciliation with Hashem, forgiveness, a terrible thing that was in the past, being resolved and moving on. Um, similarly, um, the fourth thing is that um, the last king of the northern tribes of Israel, named Hoshea ben Ela, who was no great guy, but he did something good, which is he removed the guards which had been set up by Ravan ben Nevat in the original splitting of the Jewish uh, the, of of Klai Israel into two, like the northern ten tribes and the southern Yehuda. So Yeram ben Avat went up north of the ten tribes, and he put guards that prevented people from the north to go down south to the base of Mikdash. Um, and this last king from the north, Hoshea ben Ela, he had those guards removed, giving people the opportunity, should they want to, um, to be able to go down to the base of Mikdash in Yerushalayim. So again, a terrible thing, reconciliation, picking up the pieces and, and moving forward. And that happened on Tuba'av, that decree. Um, the fifth thing is that 
um, the people who of the murdered people of the city of Betar were allowed to be buried. You recall from a couple of Mishnahs ago, we said that um, on uh, Tisha B'Av, the city of Betar fell. That was the stronghold of the Bar Kokhba rebellion. And there were tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who were killed <clears throat> in that city. Um, but um, Hadrian, who was ruthless and merciless, insisted that um, as a sign to the Jews going forward, not to rebel a third time, really, or a fourth time, depending on the count of the rebellions, um, that the people who were killed in Betar were not allowed to be buried. And therefore they stay, stayed unburied, piled up um, for years. Eventually, um, this rebellion happened, like was quashed in 135 of the Common Era. Hadrian isn't gone until 138. Um, but when Hadrian's gone and Antoninus replaces him, um, the Jews are allowed to bury their dead, and that decree to allow the burial of the Haruke Beit, those who died in Betar, came on Tuba'av on the 15th of Av. So again, similar theme. Um, that event is very important. It commemorated um, this very day, um, as much as that the, the, the bodies, you know, survived that, and we were able to get a proper burial. Um, we actually added, another, then there was a miracle. So when we do the benching, Birkas Muslim, there's a fourth bracha added, referred to as Hatova Metiv, the one that comes after Uvnei Yerushalayim, um, after say the word Amen, the next bracha Tashem, that is the fourth bracha, Tova Metiv, which is commemorating and been instituted to recognize Hashem's goodness, allowing these people to get buried. Um, so that's that happened, the decree to bury them again, or allow them to be buried, happened on Tubav. And finally, um, it's brought down that that was, Tubav was when they stopped chopping wood every year, um, that would be needed to fuel the fires of the base of Mikdash. Obviously a massive job to cut all the wood that would fuel the fires, large fires all day, every day, all year round. Um, they fire, the wood needed to be dried out. And as you pass Tuba'av, which is like, let's call it mid-August already, um, it's the summer's coming to an end and they didn't cut any more wood down because it wouldn't be dried sufficiently. So they celebrated almost like a seal, like, you know, like a seal, like a Simchas Torah type thing for finishing this big project. Um, and that celebration happened on Tuba'av. So one more thing. To celebrate on Tubav. So for all of these reasons, all these things that make Tubav special in the calendar, as well as um, Yom Kippur, so on those days, says the mission now, back into the text, Shebehen, on those two days, Benos Yerushalayim Yotzos Bechle Lavan Shaulin, the unmarried girls of Jerusalem would go out wearing white garments that they had borrowed um, and out to the they go, go out, you'll see they're going out to these vineyards. This is to get a shidduch, to get married, and to find someone. So the reason why they're taking white clothing is to symbolize the whole enterprise here is one of tahara, purity, and looking to build Jewish families and not anything sort of promiscuous. And um, everyone borrowed from it. everyone borrowed the garment that they're wearing. As the Mishnah says, so that no one should be embarrassed, no girls should be embarrassed, that they don't have clothing to wear. That means like everybody borrowed, even the richest girls borrowed from somebody else. In this way, there was no stigma attached to borrowing clothing. So they all borrowed clothing, white dresses, and they went out into the field, into the, excuse me, into the vineyard. Says the Mishnah, by the way, every garment that was borrowed needed to be immersed in a mikvah. And really, this is a technical point, which is that any girl who was an Amma'aretz, her yet to assume her clothing is Tame, and um, more than that, since the Tuma, most common Tuma of women is Tumas Nida, and a Nida, like the Zav Zav and Yoledis, um, convey the Tuma called Tumas Medras, which means that anything that they 
put their rest their weight on, which is designed to support their weight, including a dress or pants and clothing and stuff like that, um, becomes an av hatuma, a source of tumah, that is potent enough, therefore, to make a person tummy. And when therefore has to go to the mikvah, and rather than have you know picking and choosing which girls can't be trusted, and asking which girls did you were you need in this dress and so on, no, every dress that was borrowed, they all went to the mikvah, so no question needed to be asked, no one to feel uncomfortable, um, and everyone um, had freshly immersed garments, tahor garments, um, to wear to this big event. What did they do? They went out wearing these white garments. Um, and cholos means they danced, bikramim in the vineyards, that's where they went. And the, and the, the single men would then go out and pick a wife from amongst these women. What did these women say out there in the vineyards? So, um, you know, different women were focusing on different points, what they had to offer. Um, and really the mission also teaches indirectly, therefore, what are the kind of things, the three, I'll call it three categories of things you're supposed to be looking for when you choose a wife. Um, first of all, you have the beautiful women, and they said, Sana enecha urei. They said, raise up your eyes and look, you know, ma'ata vorelach, you know, choose a girl that's beautiful to you, you like. And that, of course, was what the attractive women said. I'm saying women, but they're probably girls, right? They're probably 13, 14, 15 years old. In any case, um, so that was, that was one thing, and a woman you find attractive, and that's their sales pitch. Um, another group who weren't so attractive, so comely, they would say, don't look at the silly superficial beauty. Look at the which families that we come from. You're marrying a woman to build a family, and therefore you want to have the proper midas to come with a good family, people who will know how to raise um, the proper children. So that's that. And the third group said, He said, no, um, you should focus on a girl who has proper midos, you're a shemaim, that's what you're looking for. Um, in truth, of course, like I said, the mission really gives you insight into the three things you're looking for in choosing a wife. She's attractive, understand she should come with good midos from a good family, and that she should have your Hashem. Vaomer, um, now, this, the, the, the Pasuk continues on, like, on this theme of what they should be looking for in a wife, and the Pasuk says, This is a Pasuk, right? This is a Pasuk from, from uh, like the previous one. This is this is also a Pasuk from Mishle, from what we call Aisha's Chayil. So the point is, um, let her, give her from the fruits, like the, the fruits of her own labors, let her be praised in the gates for her deeds. And the point is that when you're looking for a wife, you're looking for a doer, someone who, you know, you're not looking for the superficiality of it, rather you're looking for someone who um, is a person of substance who does good things. Now, Rabbi Shimgamil also has another Pasuk that's referring to what went on on the Yom Kippur, but it's the Yom Kippur Davka. This, this Pasuk is referenced to Yom Kippur. Truly a drasha. Um, there's a Pasuk in Shir Shirim, the Song of Songs, and it says, um, Go out and look at the daughters of Zion, meaning the girls of Jerusalem, these same girls in this uh, this episode. So now this is Bamelech Shlomo. Now, the simple reading might be of King Solomon, but it's referring to the King of Peace, meaning Hashem. Ba'atara she'itralo imo on the crown that his mother crowned him with. Again, metaphorically referring to Imo, here's the Knesset Yisrael, the Jewish people, who crown Hashem. Biyom 
Chasun on the day of his wedding, um, as the Uviyom Simchas Libo, and on the day of his rejoicing of his heart, the Mishnah says Biyom Chasun on the day of his um, wedding, Zumatan Torah. We're talking about the marriage between Hashem and the Jewish people, the giving of the Torah, and specifically not the sixth of Sivan, our Shavuos holiday, but rather um, we're talking about again Yom Kippur, again like I told you before, when Hashem. Um, authorized Moshe Rabbeinu to come down with the second set of tablets, showing reconciliation, re-giving the second tablets to the Jewish people. That's what we're talking here about the Yom Chasun Aso, the marriage day of Klai Israel, if you will. And of Yom Simchas Libo, the day of his rejoicing of his heart, Hashem, that's Zeb Binyan Beis HaMikdash, that's when Hashem, re- that's the, Hashem rejoiced with the building of the Beis HaMikdash, which, you know, this is now coming as a counterpoint to the previous mission where we lost it, and therefore the Mishnah ends um, on an upbeat note and a prayer, that that basically this should be rebuilt as Hashem b'mehera v'yamenu am speedily in our days. Amen. The mission itself says the word Amen, um, and indeed it's a prayer answering Amen that as uh, Hashem we will see um, all our troubles come to an end with the B.S. Goel Tzedek the that Mashiach should come and build the Bayashlishi. That's our certainly our fervent prayer and also the closing prayer and sentiment of of the Masechta. So as Hashem. Um, with that, Salat Masechah's Tainas, we finish Masechah's Tainas, Mazel to everyone, and Be'ez Hashem, the next Masechah is Masechah's Megillah.